All right. With that, let's go into the message today. Now, I need to set this up for you a little bit different. We started a series last week entitled Man After God's Own Heart, where we were looking at the life of David. And we're going to continue in that series, but I'm doing something a little bit different today than what I normally do. I I very rarely ever do this, but I just couldn't get away from it. I felt like the Lord kind of has been dealing with my heart all week on a specific message for today, and I was kind of just wrestling with it all week because, frankly, I was excited about the original message that I was going to preach today. And so I'll tell you, even this morning, I get up about five o'clock, and I I go over everything one last time in the morning before everybody gets up, and I went over the message I originally, and when I was done with that, I was just praying a little bit, and I just felt like I couldn't get away with what I'm going to share with you this morning. And so uh, I, I scrambled, wrote down some notes, uh, got those prepared for you, and I just want to share with you what I feel like God's been dealing with my heart in this season, because we're in a very unique season, amen? I mean, it's on again, off again. I mean, it's just crazy. We don't know what to do. And so what do we do when we don't know what else to do? And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter number 10. We're going to read two Proverbs, and we're going to build the message off of that. Proverbs chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 4. And here's what the Bible says. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now turn over another page to chapter 12. Verses 24, and it says this. It says, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The title of my message today is The Call to Diligence. Now, in this passage, obviously what we see is that the writer of Proverbs is calling us to be diligent. We are to be diligent people. We're to live with purpose, and we're to live with intention. If you know anything about the book of Proverbs, it's basically a a book of wise sayings that were written so that you and I can know how to approach life with wisdom, with knowledge, with integrity, how we should face different situations, what we should do when people are angry at us, how we should respond to conflict, how we should work and how we should labor, how we should interact with our spouse. There's lots of good stuff in there, and and I highly encourage you to read it, but one theme that you'll see that plays out in Proverbs Proverbs over and over and over again is the call to have a diligent life. Now, what is diligence? Diligence is being on purpose. It's being intentional. Another word that we use for diligence a lot is faithfulness, where we're consistent, where we're doing the same things over and over again, the things that God's called us to do over and over again. Now, it's been my observation that diligent people tend to have a lot of success in their life. If you look at somebody who tends to have a lot of success, and I'm not talking about just worldly success where maybe they have a lot of money or something like that, but people whose lives that you look at and you say, I I wouldn't mind mimicking their life. If I end up like them, I would be doing okay. When you start to peel back the curtain in their life, what you will see is that oftentimes one of their characteristics is that they were diligent people. They were people of faithfulness. They They were committed to doing the right things at the right time, every time in the right way, and that diligence has paid off and produced fruit in their life. Perhaps you know people like that. 
This week, I had an incredible opportunity. I got to go to Dallas on Monday and Tuesday for a pastor cohort. It's a, it's a thing that I'm part of this year. I didn't think I was going to get to go. And they called me last minute and they said, yeah, we'd, we'd still love for you to come. And so I got to go. Now, what's really cool about this is that this church in Texas has decided that they want to find rural pastors and they just want to bless them. And so there's about 20 of us. We had to apply for it. I got accepted to this. And so I got to go down to Dallas. And what's just unbelievable about it, every aspect of this is free. I, uh, it didn't cost me anything. All I had to do was get myself there. They pay for all the food, all the hotel rooms, everything. And so I got down there. It was super cool. And they said, hey, we're going to go eat at a restaurant called Fogo de Chao. Now, I might not even be saying that right. I don't know. And, and so I'm like, okay, well, we go eat. And so I'm driving in my truck. I'm following them. And man, we get to like the, the high end part of town. I, I mean, I'm not rich enough to be in this, this side of town. And so they're driving us through. And I mean, everything is to the nines as we're driving through this road. And I realize like, man, wherever we're heading is about to be really nice. And so we walk into this restaurant. I mean, and it's, I mean, everything's top shelf, you can tell. And they escort us back to a, a back room that they had reserved for all of these pastors to come, and, and then they start bringing us the food. Now, let me tell you something. It's a, it's a Brazilian steakhouse, and if you ever have an opportunity to go, when they come by and they offer you the cheese with the honey, you want to say yes to that, which <laughs> sounds really weird to me because the guy was like, hey, you want to say yes to the cheese and the honey. I'm like, I don't know about cheese and honey, but I'm telling you, you want to say yes to that. As amazing as the food was, though, the conversation that happened that night was more amazing. Because the reason why we were at this particular restaurant was that one of the founders of this restaurant goes to this church that was hosting this event. And so the pastor gets up and says, hey, we, we have a special guest tonight. She's just going to speak to you and just going to tell you her story. Her name is Selma, and she's just going to kind of give you a story. So Selma gets up there, and she starts to tell us about how she was born in Brazil. And her and her husband met at a young age, and they got married for one reason, and that was to be in ministry together. And she said, we just love the Lord. And we, we got together because we thought we could serve the Lord together. We had to learn to love each other later. She said it was awesome. And so they get married, and, and her husband uh, got a, a, a good job. He, he worked for some government official, and she said, man, life was, life was really good. Uh, he worked for the official. They gave him a car and a driver. I mean, the whole nine yards, he said, it was, it was nice. And she said, during that season, we planted 17 churches. And she said, then my husband's, uh, the, the person he worked for, that political party was voted out of office and he lost his job. And so he starts working at different spots and, and, and he has a friend who tells him, hey, I want you to go talk to this gentleman over here. He's, he's a Jewish gentleman. I've been trying to win him to Jesus, but I can't do it. Will you do it? And so Selma's husband went and talked to this gentleman, led him to the Lord. This man moved to Dallas and invited Selma and her husband up for his baptism. And so they get up there, and, and they're there, and, and he tells Selma and her husband, you guys should just stay here in America with me. You'll love it up here. And so they said, why not? And so they moved to America, and they're there in Dallas. Now, here's where it gets interesting. When they moved to, they moved to Dallas, her husband didn't know any English. She knew, she knew some English, and so they thought, well, we got to get jobs. And so they start working. And they thought in America, the land of opportunity, that they would have this, this opportunity where they could start planting churches. Their whole goal was to, was to work and make enough money that they could support and start a church for some pastor wanting to plant a church. And so they start working. And she said, I didn't know what else to do, but I knew how to clean. And so she started working uh, as, as, a, as a maid at a Marriott Hotel. And they worked and grinded for 12 years. Now, this is where it gets cool. 
She said in that 12-year time, she said it was a little bit frustrating because we only were able to plant three churches in that 12 years. Before that, we planted 17. Now we're planting three. And she said, my husband's learning English and he's starting his own business. And we have all these things going on. And she said, all we did was work. She said, we worked from morning till late at night, just trying to survive. And she said, we loved it though. She said, well, this is what we are. It's what we know. We know how to work. And that's what we did. Well, she starts working through through, uh, the company and she gets up to a manager level position in the Marriott. And she said, one day she's there uh, on, on the radio and she hears, they say, hey, Selma, will you come down to the front desk? There's four Brazilians here who uh, can't speak any English and their reservation's completely messed up and we don't know how to help them. Can you come get them lined out? And she said, well, of course I can. And so she goes down there to the front desk and she starts talking to these four Brazilian. And they say to, she says, so what are you guys here trying to do? I'll get you lined out. What are you trying to do? And they said, well, we are people uh, who own Fogo de Chao in Brazil. And she said when she heard that name, she knew about this steakhouse and that it was very successful in Brazil. And she said, that's awesome. You guys will do great here in Dallas. Like everybody's going to love it. And so she sets them up with a lawyer and she gets them transportation and she translates for them for the next two weeks. And they get all the paperwork. And when they get to the end of the two weeks, they come to her and they say, you know what? We think you should work for us. And so she quit. Now here's the crazy thing. She goes to work for these people. She told us the initial investment into this was, was around $600,000 in the original investment in the first restaurant. She was there. She became their CEO. She led the company. Today, they have 44 restaurants over the entire world, and their last evaluation was evaluated at $580 million. Now, here's the cool thing about that. Because Selma and her husband were diligent, They were in the right place at the right time for God to do something through them. And let me tell you something. There is power in diligence. Diligence needs to be in our life. Why should we be diligent? Well, there's a call in Scripture for God's people to be diligent because diligent reflects the nature and the character of God to a lost world. I want you to think about who God is. God is diligent. God is faithful. It's one of the key attributes to his nature. His faithfulness ties together every other one of his attributes. We can read and know what God's going to do because he tells us in his word that he does not change. He's diligent to do the same thing the same way every single time. And when he makes a promise to us, he's going to fulfill that promise because he's faithful because of who his name is. You look, at, you look at different people throughout Scripture, and you see the diligence that God has displayed in their life. Think about Moses. He tells Moses, I'm going to be with you. I want you to go and lead the people out of Egypt. And so Moses goes, and God was diligent and faithful to Moses while he was there. He was diligent and faithful in the miracles. He was diligent and faithful to lead the people out. He was diligent and faithful when they got to the Red Sea to part it. He was diligent and faithful to bring them the manna and the quell every single day. He was diligent to provide for their needs. You can see the faithfulness of God displayed over Moses' entire life. I've been talking about David. You see that God is diligent and faithful to David. When David was fighting the lion and the bear, God was there with him to save him. When David was standing before Goliath, God was faithful. When David was was running away from Saul, God was faithful. God was faithful to Abraham to fulfill the promise. God was faithful to Jesus not to abandon him in the grave. 
God is faithful. God is diligent. Think about God's faithfulness in your own life. I've never been without. I've never been without. So when we live a diligent life, we are teaching the world the nature of God. When we say we're being diligent because of who our God is, we are reflecting our Heavenly Father. You can learn a lot about parents by looking at their kids. And the world can learn a lot about our Heavenly Father by looking at us. How are we living? How are we carrying ourselves? Are we faithful? Are we diligent? This world needs to see diligent Christians. This world is full of chaos. And at this point in time and history, what the world needs is they don't need some cute, fancy organization. What they need is they need to see Christians who are on mission and being diligent and faithful in their lives to follow Jesus, to pick up their cross every single day, to point back to the Father. When we're diligent in this season, we're showing the world that God is our source. When we're diligent in this season, we're showing that we have trust and faithfulness in God. It's what we sang about a moment ago. The Lord is our firm foundation. So diligence shows the character and the nature of God to the world. But diligence does another thing. And the reason why we're supposed to be diligent is because diligent, diligence is beneficial because we were created to be in rhythm. Rhythm is defined as a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. I'm a drummer. The idea of the drummer is to play consistently in time so that everything else knows what beat they are on. All the other instruments, I promise you, the success or failure, the sound quality of, a, of any sort of band is going to be dependent upon the drummer. If the drummer can keep a consistent beat, chances are everything else is going to flow smooth. But you can have the best guitar player in the world, and if you have a drummer that can't keep a beat, it's going to sound like trash. Why? Because it sets the rhythm. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but when you look out into the world and you look out into creation, there is a rhythm to everything that we see. God is a God of order. God is a God of design. So when he said, let there be light and there was evening and morning, it's been evening and morning since God spoke. That's never changed. There's been a rhythm to that. There's been years and there's been days. When you look out into the universe, there's order to it. I don't know how we, we buy into the fact that by random chance, something so orderly came from random chance. doesn't make sense to me. It'd be like picking up a, a finely made Rolex watch on the sidewalk and thinking that it just assembled itself. Something designed that Rolex watch and some master craftsman put it together and the intricacies of it are so finely tuned that it doesn't get off time. When you look out into the universe and into the world, you see the same thing. There is rhythm to the universe. Now, here's why this is important, because you're part of God's creation, and you were created for rhythm. Life will be so much smoother when you are diligent in your movements, and you're diligent to do what your God has created you to do. Life is a lot smoother when you're living the way he designed you. Therefore, we are called to be diligent to that rhythm. There are a lot of aspects of life that God has called us to be diligent in. The crazy thing is, sometimes the simpler the rhythm, the better the music sounds. I was thinking as I was getting ready for this, like one of the most iconic songs of all time 
is Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. But if you listen to that, and if you know anything about drums, like it's like boom, boom, for five minutes. I mean, it is the, it is the worst, it would be the worst song ever to play. In fact, I watched one side of this video. It was funny to watch this video. It was, a, it was, a, it was, it was Michael Jackson's drummer. And he had a Billie Jean tutorial video. Well, it was five minutes of him going, you know, over and over again. It's like, there's nothing to it. But it's iconic. Why? Because there's rhythm to it. And sometimes following God, we overcomplicate it. We're called to the simple things. Simple is good, but it's only effective when you're diligent. Now, what are those things? Well, we'll get to them here in just a second. So, we see why diligence. Now the question is, what are going to be the results of diligence? So you can say, okay, I see it. Diligence points to God, and diligence is how I was created to live in rhythm. So what are going to be the results of my diligence? Well, if you read these Proverbs, the two results that we see are ruling and riches. Ruling and riches. Ruling. There is some control in your life with diligence. When you're living diligently, there is some control against the chaos. Now, you need to understand what I'm saying when I'm talking about having a ruling aspect in your life. Not some authoritative dictatorship in your life where you get to play God. That's not what we're talking about. When I say you get to rule in life, what we're saying is, is that diligence to God's rhythm keeps chaos under control in your life. Have you ever noticed that some people are ruled by chaos? Every little hiccup in life throws them into turmoil. Why is that? The answer is because they are not diligent to the right priorities and to the right rhythm of life. They're not diligent in their work. They come and go as they please. They don't work hard when they're there. And what happens? They never seem to get a good job. And they always seem to be moving from one to the next. And there's no consistency. There's chaos. They're not diligent in their families. And so there's always turmoil amongst the family because they're not properly prioritizing their wife or their kids. They're not diligent to their spiritual health. And so there's no sure, firm foundation that we sang about a moment ago. There's constantly just this this crushingness of their soul. They're not diligent to the calling of God on their life. And so they feel frustrated because they're not fulfilling what God's called them to do. They're not not, uh, diligent to their family of God. We, We need one another. We need these things in our life so that we can live the way God called us to do. And when we're not diligent in these things, every little wind and wave throws us off balance and the house of cards comes crashing down. Now, if you feel like there's constant turmoil for the last decade of your life. Maybe, just maybe, you need to look and see, am I being diligent to the right things in life? Of course, we all get in situations and seasons where chaos happens. You can be the most structured, orderly person in the world. You can be diligent to everything you're supposed to, and chaos can still show up and knock you over from time to time. But if the pattern of your life is consistent turmoil... In any area of your life, you need to look at that area and say, am I being diligent to the right things? Am I being diligent to the right things? Here's why diligence is important. Because when you're in motion, it's hard to get knocked off course. It's simple physics, right? An object in motion wants to stay in motion. It doesn't have to be moving very fast. It's still going to want to stay in motion. My dad 
manager of a trucking company. And one of the most fascinating things that I saw that he had to deal with one time is he had a truck driver who they, they of course, now all of them have computers and there's printouts. And this guy rolled his truck at a stop sign one time. And so they started looking and they realized that he rolled his truck going two miles an hour. But what happened? He was carrying a load of liquid. He was going forward. He was following too closely to the gentleman in front of him. So when he went to turn, he couldn't accelerate to change the direction of his, of his load. He couldn't shift the momentum. And so what happened is when he tried to turn, the trailer tried to go straight and it just rolled the truck over. It's the power of inertia. And so when we're diligent doing what God's called us to do, and we keep taking step forward, 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 diligence after diligence after diligence after diligence, it's hard to get knocked over. We're going to keep wanting to go this way. Something might come from the side, but we keep going forward because we're moving in the right direction. Diligence keeps you on track, and it allows you to rule in the situation versus be ruled in the situation. But the second proverb tells us this, that diligence brings riches. When you focus on the right area or you focus on any area of life, there tends to be growth and fruit. If you focus in and you're diligent on your job, you tend to excel in that job. When you're diligent in your spiritual life, your spiritual life tends to be healthy and rich. When you're diligent in your family and in your marriage, there tends to be a flourishing aspect to your life. There are value in diligence. There's value in diligence because it points to God. It allows you to stay in rhythm. It allows you to rule under God's authority and it enriches your life. So I hope you hear me this morning that diligence is important, but the elephant in the room is this, that chaos in our current situation and our, in our current world setting has made diligence incredibly difficult. By a show of hands, out of curiosity, how many of you, this whole COVID thing has knocked off your work schedule in one way or the other? Okay, almost universally all of us. Now, I know a lot of you, you're a hard worker. If you're supposed to be there at 8, you're going to be there at 7.45. supposed to leave at 5, you're going to stay till 5.10. Why? Because you're diligent. But this world is full of chaos, and it's made diligence very difficult to achieve. Countless people have had to take days off just to see if they were perhaps contagious with a virus. Vacations have been ruined, and family celebrations have been postponed, and church services have been postponed, and it's left a lot of us feeling frustrated, like we are out of control and that we're poor. The exact opposite of the proverb we just read a moment ago. Instead of ruling in life, we feel like we're just at the whims of the world. Instead of feeling enriched, we feel impoverished because we're not getting to experience the same things that we want to experience. It feels like there's just chaos. How many of you have been there? Now, I've been talking about us as individuals, but I want to shift and talk about the church just for a second. Some really interesting observations, though, if you start to really step away from what a lot of us are in and just look at the situation, particularly for a church. So as a church, here's some things I've realized. Chaos doesn't change vision. Chaos doesn't change vision. Matthew 28, very common. We all know it. Matthew 28, verses 19. It says this, Jesus is speaking. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples. Now what's interesting about that is Jesus did not say, go and make disciples when everything is going well. He didn't say, hey, you know, if nobody's persecuting you and that dude Nero doesn't get into, you know, power, you guys go make disciples. No, he just gave a simple direction. Go make disciples. And Jesus's commission is not dependent upon our cultural surroundings. We have to continue to reach the lost community. Think about how the first believers were diligent. Look how it enriched their lives. Look how the chaos didn't seem to rule over them. They were diligent. They faced the worst persecution perhaps any Christians faced in all of time. If you look at the history, a lot of you know it. Christians were burned at the stake. They were fed to lions in the arena. I mean, it was a rough go of it. All 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred for the faith. The only one that wasn't martyred was John, but they boiled him alive in oil. He just didn't die. You talk about some diligence. These men were diligent. And then in Hebrews 12, it said, now you need to look at the cloud of witnesses that went before you, and that needs to spur you on. So as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to look to our brothers and sisters in the past and say, if they were diligent in the chaos they lived in, then we can be diligent today. How can we stand before Peter or Paul or John, these guys who went before us, how can we stand before them in heaven and say, Guys, we, we just, we couldn't be diligent. We had too much going on. When they faced everything they faced, how could we stand before them and do that? Not only does the chaos not change the vision, we can still be diligent to what Jesus called us to, but the chaos doesn't change the values that we have as a church. Those values are just as important now as they are. You guys probably get tired of me talking about them, but I believe this is what God's called us to do. You think about how important it is to trust in the word now. It's perhaps more important than it's ever been. Why? Because this is, this, is, this is the word of God that you can build your life on. This is the truth that tells us how to approach things. You talk about the value of worshiping God and having fellowship with him. That's more valuable now than it's ever been in our life. We need to be diligent to that. Because if we're not diligent, we're going to cut ourselves off from the vine and we're going to get spiritually hungry and we're going to die spiritually. Talk about valuing our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right now, in the middle of the chaos, we need each other more than we've ever needed one another before. We need to be going out of our way to check on one another. We shouldn't be waiting for others to call us. We should be calling them. Why? Because we need one another right now. Talk about the value of being spirit-led. In this world that is just in chaos, a Christian walking with confidence, knowing that the Holy Spirit is with them and that no matter what they face, that God is there and that he will guide them. Talk about valuing reaching the next generation of believers. Right now, people are hungry for truth. The chaos doesn't remove the burden for diligence. It only adds value to diligence. Diligence is more important now than ever. 
So if we see value in diligence and we know what we need to do as a church, what should we be doing as individuals? Where do we need to be diligent as individuals going through this season? We need to be diligent in our personal discipleship. If you're not feeding yourself right now a steady diet of the Word of God and of prayer, then you're not going to make it spiritually. I preached week one of the closure that this season was going to be a pruning season for the church. And I warned people that when things return to normal, and nobody knows what that means, when those things return to normal, that the Christians who love and seek Jesus in this season are going to be still following Jesus when it's over. Those who were loving Jesus and honoring him in their life and were diligent in that before are still going to be following him when it's over. The people who were coming to church for any other reason or saying they were a Christian for any other reason than for Jesus won't be here. Why? Because the habit's going to get broken. And it's not about being in church. It's about following Jesus. That's what it's about. Church is just one small element of that. But if we're being diligent in our own personal discipleship and our own personal growth, we're going to thrive in this season. We might not enjoy it, but they'll be thriving. We also need to be diligent to the house of God. Now, some of us were comfortable with in-person attendance, and some of us are not. So you need to understand when I say be diligent to the house of God, I'm not saying you necessarily have to be in this room. Some of us are comfortable being here, some are not. Either way, we need to be faithful in engaging with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. That might be in person. That might be calling people on the phone. It might be that you're like, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable being around people. I'm just not comfortable being around 500 people. Maybe there's a small group of you people, whoever that is, you say, you know what? I, I, I've, been, you know, I've been hanging out with my close friends, but we've, we've been kind of pulling. Maybe you get together and you watch the services together and you study the Bible together and you have community together. It's important. I want you to think about this. As bad as things seem now, for decades, there have been Christians in China who have been meeting together, and it could cost them their life if they get together. Why would they take that risk? Because they know value is there. That doesn't mean that they were comfortable with it. I might have told you this. I got to go on a mission trip to to Vietnam out of high school, and the lady who was kind of taking us around, she was a Vietnamese lady, and she was scared to death to be seen with us the whole time. Why? Because we're about a foot taller than everybody else and we're white. We stuck out like sore thumbs. And this lady, and I'm sitting here looking at this lady. Now, here's, here's the rub in this whole day. I'm sitting here looking at this lady thinking, my goodness, this woman is a woman of faith. I mean, there are guards on every corner. You can't be a Christian. She's walking around a bunch of white people. Somebody's going to say, what's going on over here? And I'm thinking, man, she is bold. But then one day... She starts telling us, and she's crying. She's like, I get so scared. I get so scared that they're going to come get me. She said, but when I cry out to Jesus, he stands there with me. And I thought, good night. She said, I wish I had faith like Americans. I said, if it wasn't so funny, you'd want to just weep at that. Why would they do that? Why are they diligent to meet together? Because they know there's value there. And we need, to be, we need to be diligent 
to being with our brothers and sisters because we need each other. So we need to be diligent to our personal growth. We need to be diligent to the house of the Lord, whatever that looks like. But we also need to be diligent in living out our faith and community. We have a calling to make an impact in the lives of people that we're around. I'm a firm believer in the priesthood of the saints, meaning that the true impact of the gospel message always comes from people to other people. It's not going to be some big organizational front. It's going to be a grassroots movement. And right now, big organizational fronts don't really work very good, do they? But you still see people, and I still see people. And we need to allow the Lord to work through us to minister to other people. That's what we need to do as individuals. There's value in diligence. Chaos doesn't change the vision. It doesn't change the burden. It adds values to it. We as individuals need to be diligent in our personal growth. We need to be diligent to the house of the Lord, and we need to be diligent in living out our faith in the community. Now, as a church, I just want to tell you that we're going to march on in spite of the chaos. That's my determination. We have to model diligence. As a leadership, we are committed to moving forward. We're going to march, whatever that looks like, every single day. I read this book the other day. It was the most fascinating story. You should definitely look this up. I think it was 1911. Don't quote me on this. It was two gentlemen who were expeditionists. They were adventurers. They were highly skilled. Both of them had done unbelievable exploits on their own, seen places in the world no one else had been. They broke ground, if you will. One was Omsted, and the other one was Scott. And they were racing to the South Pole. 1911, think about it. There's no communication. This newfangled thing called the combustible engine came out. They, they thought about using some of that. Scott did. What's interesting is that both of them set out for the South Pole within days of each other. Olmsted and his team got there 30-something days before Scott did, and they made it back. Scott and his team died. Now, that's fascinating, isn't it? Two guys, similar skill set, started out within days of each other, both were in the same environment, facing the same weather, heading to the same destination. One made it down there 30 days before the other and led his team back safely. The other died. Was one just luckier than the other? No. No, one wasn't luckier than the other because they were both in the same situation. Was one more skilled than the other? No, because they were both highly skilled. What was the difference? There's a lot of things that were different, but the one that really stood out to me was the approach to how they were going to get down there. Amsta's team marched every single day. They woke up and the weather was nice, they marched 17 miles. If they woke up and the weather was terrible, they marched 17 miles. On days that they could have gone 40 miles, they marched 17. On days when they didn't know if they could go two, they marched 17. Scott and his team, when the weather was nice, they went as far and as hard as they could. When the weather was bad, they sat in their tent. And what was the difference? The consistency of the march allowed Olmsted and his team to get down there and to get back safely. Scott and his team died. And here's the principle for all of us. As a church, we're going to march ahead. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't think anybody can tell me what that looks like. What's interesting is nobody wants to predict the future right now because everybody's like, I don't know. 
We can't predict what tomorrow looks like. Process might look different. Results might look different. What the definition of quote-unquote success, God might be just tearing all that down. That thought has gone through my mind. Perhaps all this stuff that is going on, one of the things God's going to do to redeem it is just to blow up our definition of success, our definition of what church should be. All this stuff might just be out the window time all this is over. Who knows? But here's what I do know is that we have been commissioned by the Lord. That hasn't changed, and we need to march on. We need to be willing as a church to experiment and try things. But you know, I love about the early church, they tried different things. They went over here, they went over there. They just figured it out. Why? Because they were consistent to go forward. And if we're consistent to go forward, I guarantee you some things are going to work, some things are not going to work. Some things you think, man, we're going to have like 7,000 people show up. We might have four, you know? Some things you're like, Oh, nobody's going to do this. You might have 7,000. I don't know. But God's given us everything we need. The technology's there. The resources are there. There's no excuse for us to sit flat-footed in the tent because the weather's bad. We need to march. It's important to march. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. We need to be diligent. We are called to be diligent as individuals as a church. Super interesting to me. I, I told you I went to Dallas this last Monday, and I was sitting there, and this is my childhood hero. I, I'm, I've probably mentioned his name several times from the pulpit. He's the guy who, you know, preached my youth camps and youth conventions and, you know, all this stuff. And he moved to Dallas, I think he said 15 years ago when he got there, his church was running 600 people when, when he was voted in as pastor. And in March, they were running 6,000. I mean, it's kind of kind of like big numbers if you think about it. And so we're sitting there for the coaching time and he starts to share a story. He said, look, he said, since the reopen, and if you've been to Dallas, it's, it's a lot more stringent than it is here. He said, when we're, we're here, and he said, in March, it looked like it could never be better. And he said, since we've reopened, we haven't broken 25% of our previous attendance. So I want you to think about that. I mean, there's thousands of people that they have not seen since they shut the doors. And so he said that he felt like the Lord led him to a passage of scripture talking about Elijah and how Elijah stands before King Ahab and he puts his finger in Ahab's face and says, it's not going to rain till I say so. It's the highlight, if you will, of his ministry. And God then says, I need you to go hide in the brook. And at the brook, there's this water and this famine starts to settle into the land and God uses ravens to bring him food. I mean, this is like a pretty cool deal, right? And he said, that's how it felt in March. And as he's telling the story, that's pretty reminiscent because if you've been around here, you know that a lot of cool things were happening right before we shut the doors. I mean, it felt real reminiscent. I mean, I could identify with what he's saying. And he said, so it felt like we're sitting here and just miraculous things are happening. We're by the brook. Everything's going good. Everybody's happy. We're never seeing anything like, and then boom, the brook dries up. We shut the doors. And he said, I've sitting here and we've opened the back doors back up but the water isn't flowing anymore 
still in a famine. I'm sitting by this dried up brook. Nothing's happening. And he said, at this point, he's sitting there and he said, he's just mourning the brook drying up. And he said, last Sunday, he was sitting there by himself. His wife was busy with another commitment. His boys are out of the house. He said, I'm just sitting there by myself feeling sorry for myself. And he said, I felt like God told me, stop mourning over a brook that is never going to come back. He said, if you know the story of Elijah, Elijah sent him to Zarephath where there was a widow lady who was going to take care of him miraculously through a jar of oil and flour. And he said it was time for him to get up and move. Now, I feel blessed because our church, you guys have been so resilient in the middle of all of this. We, we haven't had the same problems that a lot of churches have had. You guys are showing up, which is awesome. But what he did say that I think is really important for us to remember, and that really stuck with me, is don't mourn for the past. You got to look to the future, and the future might be different than the past. And as I was thinking of that, then with what I felt like with the diligence, if we're diligent, things might change. We don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe nothing changes. We don't know. But what I do know is we have to be diligent to what God's called us to do, and we have to be diligent to go forward for the future. And when we do that, no matter where that road leads, God will be there and will be the provider along the way. He'll be the provider for you. There might be some of you that you're... you're current outlook on your finances because everything is starting to get grim. It feels like the crunch is starting to come in now. The provision comes from God. And when we're diligent to follow him, he's going to be diligent and faithful back to us. For some of you, just the, the inconsistency of life wears down on you. But when you're diligent, you can avert some of the chaos, but God's provision will still be there for you. When we as believers are diligent to do what God's called us to do, it will make a difference for every single person that we come in contact with. Our call and our commission is to be diligent. Will you stand with me this morning?